This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 129, about The Punisher, season 1, episode 8, Cold Steel. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, episode 129, about episode 8 of The Punisher, season 1, titled Cold Steel. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm one of your hosts, Derek. There's just two of us here this time. Yes, like Madonna and Russo, we are a man down. <laughs> Luckily, Chris is enjoying um, Christmas break in South Africa. Ooh, so, yeah. yes. Yeah, very All good. Not quite as brutal as uh, the man down in this episode. Yes, shock, horror, RIP. And, of course, it is a full spoiler podcast Um for this episode of The Punisher. Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully, Chris will have a little piece that we'll insert uh, later on about his defender this episode, because I know he liked it. Um, hopefully, we'll have a bit from him later on. If not, it's just the two of us to go through our podcast and our discussion for this episode. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, make sure you go over to iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts now. Uh, you can go through our website just at defenderstvpodcast.com. Loads of links there to subscribe on any of your favorite or maybe not so favorite podcast cashers, whatever way you use them. Uh, you can also send your feedback into us through through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or come over and join us on our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. So then, Derek, uh, what's with the episode details this time? Absolutely, yeah. This episode was written by Felicia D. Henderson. Uh, first time into Marvel. Um, she did start off with lots of comedy back in the day uh, for everything from Fresh Prince to Family Matters, Moesha and Sister Sister. Uh, she recently created and co-wrote the show The Quad, but this is her first time in Marvel, as I said. Uh, she does have two episodes of The Punisher this season, uh, this episode and episode 11 of The Punisher. So we will see a bit more from Felicia. Yes, and it is a fantastic episode from my point. Mm. Um, so definitely looking forward to episode 11 as well. Yeah. And who is it directed by? Uh, the episode was directed by Antonio Campos. Again, another first-time director in Marvel. Hasn't directed any of this uh, of this show. Um, hasn't done a huge amount of other stuff, but did direct a three episodes of a show called The Sinner with Jessica Biel and Pil- Bill Pullman. Lovely. Mm, interesting. I must, must check that out after this episode. There's, been, there's some really cool stuff in here uh, from him. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Russo opens up to Madani about his past, and Castle and Micro come to terms with Frank's past as they learn about Rawlins' identity. From the computer monitors, Lieberman starts to see the strains and stresses on his family. As the monitors turn off, he sends Frank over to his home, where Sarah shares her concerns about her son, Zach along with a bottle of rosé and an awkward kiss with Frank. Micro hits the whiskey, but him and Frank work things out about the kiss. In the whiskey haze, however, Micro has a moment of clarity, realising that him and Frank should be working with Madani and not against her. But Frank is not convinced, simply wanting Rawlins dead. As Castle heads back to Micro's home to confront Zack about the knife he has in his possession, he learns that he has grown afraid since his father's death. After convincing Lieberman that seeing his son would be too dangerous, the two agree the next course of action is to work with Madani. Meanwhile, Rawlins and Russo decide to go after Castle, unaware that Madani, Stein and their DHS team are going after them as part of a decoy operation. 
a shootout unfolds in which several SWAT officers and several of Russo's men are killed. As Russo makes his escape from the trap, Stein flanks and corners Russo outside. As Russo is about to be cuffed, he pulls his concealed assassin knife on Stein. As he bleeds out, Madani rushes to save him. But as he tries to tell her about Russo, the words fail as his breath slips slowly from him. As Madani sits in shock in her bathtub, she is consoled and helped to wash the blood off her body by Russo. Ooh, yes. What an episode. What a dastardly mutt Russo is. (laughs) He really is. Um, You know, he has got some kahunas on him to um, effectively be so calm and collected. I mean, you know, that final shot, he looks like he really is being quite gentle with her. And yet we know um, just how violent and uncompromising he is. Uh, Madani, better watch out. She could be drowned in her own bathtub if she's not careful. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into our war journal with Billy Russo and our, and our top five points. Uh, first one up. Billy Russo paying a hospital visit. Ooh. Yes, this is really interesting, actually. Um, like, we kind of understand that it's his mum. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, it looks like she's in some kind of institution or hospital, some care home. It, it's almost quite disturbing. It's quite chilling. Um, you know, to begin with, a bit like with everyone on, uh, this show that Billy has interacted with, you know, he seems to be giving lots of attention. Is the dutiful son, the the caring son? You know, he's paid extra for a sun lamp. He's paying extra to get her teeth brushed. You know, but then all of a sudden it, it hits, and he just calls her a hooker. He effectively says that getting her teeth brushed is really important for people in her line of work. It's really, it, it's kind of an indication that this isn't a loving visit. This isn't someone that he's. Um, that he knows it isn't someone that has, that that should be his mother. Um, he's always been a very calm and collected kind of character as Billy Russo since we've seen him at, since the beginning of the se- season. But we're starting to see some cracks in here for the character, definitely, and in, in his relationship with his mother, and start to learn a little bit more about it that she left him behind, left him in the care system throughout his life, uh, which we hear has had some quite serious effects on him. Yeah, and he is repaying her in kind. Mm. Um, she is in a care system, although. Whilst she is being cared for, you know, we do end up seeing her tied down uh, and in hospital and Russo administering some kind of drug um, by syringe. Uh, but she seems really afraid. You know, her eyes are, are bulging and wide. She does genuinely feel uh, afraid for herself and is in no position to um to to fight back she's yeah. tied down she can't can't speak and and you're just wondering is she there um because she needs to be because she has a medical condition um or something or is she there um against her will and yeah. i feel it's the latter um definitely yeah you just wonder how He's managed to get her in that position, and it's all kind of above board, really, uh, you know. But he certainly is paying her back in spades. Yeah, very much seems like money talks in this place. Um, as he says, he pays the extra for the sun lamp. He pays extra for the teeth brushing. She's tied down to her bed. So clearly there's something wrong here between them in this actual institution that Russo is paying for the care of his mother uh, in a very weird way. But he does make some comments about it. He says to her, I'm glad the way you treated me. If you wanted weak kids, you give them everything. If you want strong, treat them hard like you did to me. Uh, And then says he would have given her the world. 
anything she ever wanted if she just wanted him. Now, I wonder if that's something like he came back and found her after everything that had happened to him. We know he didn't see her for years because he was in this home care system or the care system in, in the US and then eventually found her. I wonder, did he just take her and then put her into the home immediately or did he give her a choice to say, now you know who I am do you do you love me? Do you want to take care of me? Or did he just take her immediately and put her into this system, knock her out and keep her under this medication? Yeah, I think maybe it's something that could unfold further uh, in the future. Yeah. Or I wonder if this is just some kind of snippet. You know, again, as I say, it's just this idea of showing that Billy Russo can be two-faced to absolutely uh, anyone, mm-hmm. you know, really. Um, he does make the point that she's the only person that knows everything about him, that he talks to about everything from his business to his friendship with Frank to things that happen in Kandahar. So will it be that she remembers everything she keeps it in and she could be used by Frank as a tool against Russo when he finds out what Russo's been doing. Yeah, or even Madani, you know, mm-hmm. this lady is a witness as well. So yeah, it's it will be really interesting to see how Billy Russo's mom may be a keystone in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe his his slight weakness for um adoration for for being manipulative for being in control for showing he's strong will come back to haunt him in this case yeah yeah. and the fact that he's showing this weakness the fact that he is now saying this is the only person he shares everything with yeah really interesting one yeah speaking of sharing everything with other people uh, our second point is flushing the watcher the the tapping of madani's uh, office and they are really not happy that they are being watched that they are being spied on. Mm. Um, and Madonna is looking to find out who is watching them uh, by going analog with the actual team that, you know, setting up this trap, this decoy operation, mm-hmm. um, really going offline here um, so that the tactical plan is purely um, an, on a need-to-know basis, word of mouth, um, you know, ink and paper, and that, a false tactical plan is put online and that they talk about the, the, the decoy operation in the office mm-hmm. so they can flush out the people who are watching them, spying on them and listening in. It's an interesting one, isn't it? You'd think that the main meeting room in this center would be the other room that you would tap, not just Madani's room, because that means you're just getting information from Madani and from the head of, of this group. But effectively, she's saying, all the guys that are around the table are the only people that know the actual tactical plan. It's just what's written in front of them in in ink and paper rather than what's online. So uh, so she knows they're watching them. We knew that from a couple of, a couple of episodes ago. Uh, but I like how they use this. I think this is really cool, this idea of, well, now we're going to go completely undercover in this situation and give them a completely different uh, digital plan online. Yeah, definitely. Um, like it's it's really nicely done the way they, they work together here. All the important conversations are done out of office. Mm-hmm. Um, really good. I think the other interesting thing that we see and, and learn from this is that the, the people, um, used by Rawlins to attack the log cabin and, and to take down Gunnar Henderson were all from Anvil. Yeah. And that Billy now needs to hire new guys, um, because they were all wiped out. Plus, he needs to keep it completely off books here. Uh, and he seems to go to a really interesting group of, of guys that have been used before, but kind of got slightly trigger happy and have kind of been barred from being used in any kind of operation, uh, by the US state here. Yeah. Uh, and so 
they really go for proper mercenaries here. I mean, even more illegal mercenaries than, than before. Uh, but they're all promised 500,000 each, half up front and half after the job has been completed, mm-hmm. as they think they're going to catch Frank here with this uh, decoy operation set up by Madani and Stein. Um, but there's also really interesting little confrontation between uh, Billy versus uh, Rawlins, yeah. really. We talked about it previously with Monty, about it being a bit of a uneasy alliance between these three. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we see for the first time, you know, sort of cracks between Billy and Rawlins here, uh, where Rawlins feels that Billy isn't putting 100% in because um Madani is involved. Exactly. He's concerned that he he's he's going to kind of um falter here because it's a, a, an attack on a group that will include his current lover. Mm-hmm. Um but Billy has a real uh strong comeback where he faces down Rollins and he says there is no one on this green earth that I'm worried about going up against. Yeah. You know, as a direct threat really to Rollins that even he um, Billy will confront, will go up against if he needs to. Uh, so it was really interesting. I kind of enjoyed that, actually. Yeah, I have to say I love how that scene's shot with uh, with Billy just staring down at Rollins. Again, this is his commanding officer, effectively, and has been since since the war. He's the one that leads up this operation. Russo is in there. They're now bound together. Um, they have to have to work together because of what's going on with Frank and what's going on with Homeland Security. But Billy is very clear about the fact that if ever Rollins pisses him off, he'll go straight for him. You know, it's a it's a great moment. Rollins doesn't seem to back down. He doesn't seem scared of Russo. But I think there's a really good intimidation moment there. Definitely. Uh, let's go on to point number three. That Rosé is some strong shit. Um, who would have thought the Punisher would be drinking rosé not a full body red uh-huh I know it's really interesting like he's or a in, bourbon even he seems much more of a whiskey man uh, as we probably see a little bit later on uh, probably a bit more of a beer guy as well um, proper you know American guy and Sarah has that great moment with him where she says thanks for not giving, not complaining about the fact that I'm a rosé girl every day we've seen Sarah drink a lot in this season she really does seem to go to the bottle for dealing with her problems when she ha- when she's had a bad day with the kids it's straight straight to the bottle uh, this is the first time Frank's drank with her um and I'm wondering if she kind of had that moment that we all have when you're drinking with somebody else that you kind of find a little bit attractive and and then you have a little too much to drink and you think they're on the same level as you. It doesn't seem like this rosé has affected Frank as much as it affected Sarah. Yeah, definitely. But she certainly has problems. I mean, you know, her two kids, especially Zach, is playing up. He's punched his sister. He's stolen skateboards. And then she's found a a bush knife, a hunter's knife, mm. uh, in, in his rucksack or, or somewhere about the house. She's absolutely concerned. And to punish him, she's turned all the electronics off. So he's got no Wi-Fi, no internet <laughs> and all that. And so as a result, all the video monitors back at Micro's Faraday cage are all go off. And of course, mad panic. What's going on? Of course, Micro sends Frank over and then we have the rose uh incident mm. but i like how it plays out because it is very awkward and i like how she also says sorry that this was weird can we just put that behind us yep. like it it feels very natural 
um, what's happened in a sense for her. I don't think Frank would have necessarily gone in for that because obviously he no. knows Micah is still alive. Micah is, of course, watching all of this and so then hits the bottle himself mm-hmm. with the whiskey. I love the fact that when Frank comes back to their base, he's face down in front of the monitor with that moment frozen where mm-hmm. she is kissing Frank. Yeah. Really, really good. Chris is going to hate not being here for this. This was one of his first predictions when Sarah came on screen that there would be a kiss between the two of them, wasn't it? So, sorry, Chris. Uh, you have to have to give up your holidays if you want to be here for, for every episode, right? <laughs> um, but I do like the kind of the interplay between the two of them. Again, it's something else that's going on in the background here. This, these are two effectively widowers as far as Sarah's concerned she's lost her husband he's lost his wife and she has that lovely kind of turn of phrase with with Frank where she says what happens to us we've still got half of our life left when we lost our partners we're still young people like he's what late 20s early 30s I know John Bernthal who plays the Punisher is only about 33 34 something like that so for them to have lost both of their their partners at that age in their 30s still have a long way to go in their lives probably you know and having to think that well that's it that's the end of our life do we have to be more in mourning for the rest of our lives can we not let it play out um i think frank does kind of lead her on a little bit by saying well you need to go with your feelings you need to go with um the people that you find interesting and and he's been the only person that's been in her life since david died yeah absolutely and and they've built a really you know decent connection Mm -hmm. Uh, you know initially it is for for frank's purposes to find out more about the the guy who was training him micro but, I mean, ultimately, something has connected there. There are two peas in a pod. You know, they've shared a lot about their their life. Yeah. Uh, especially Sarah to Frank, I think, more so. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's a nice thing that's playing out in the background. And it brings some great tension there, as we see back when uh, Frank returns to, to the base. Um, and... They, Frank and David do sort out the, this kiss. They kind of put it behind them. Um, but I, I think we see David here really trying to play uh, a one-up on, on the length of the schlong, I suppose. Do you miss sex? I'm hung like a moose. It's gonna not going to be easy to steal my wife, you know. But Frank is very definite, like... I mean, he's laughing as well. Uh-huh. You know, this, this, this man talk about the, the lengths going on, but it, he's ultimately, I don't want to steal your life. That's not what I want to do. Uh, you've got nothing to worry. And I think, you know, within his, his drunk state, David is trying to kind of say, you know, whatever you've got. I'm better in that <laughs> department. Uh, she's never going to go anywhere near you because she's got Mia's reference, effectively. Well, yeah, but it's it's such a tough situation for Frank to be in. Effectively, he's seeing this woman crumble because she lost her husband. And he also knows the fact that her husband's alive. And he's crumbling because he can't see his wife. He has kind of lost her. He can only see her through video screens. He can't get in contact with her. Can't take care of the situation with Zach. He has to send in Frank, who he knows now that his wife kind of sees something in. Um, there's no blame here. It's just a really odd situation for all of them. And Frank's kind of trying to play that ball between the two of them. He's trying to take care of both of them and put himself in a really difficult position with Sarah. It's, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of uh, concept, a really interesting triangle here. Even though when, when it comes down to it, when it gets to eventually Frank going, I will absolutely never, ever go near your wife. Effectively, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to get angry about it. I'm going to tell you this once when I met my wife 
and she told me she was pregnant. I got engaged to her that day. We got married and she was the only woman I ever wanted to be with for the rest of my life. Stop this talk. It needs to end. And it's kind of a, it's another Frank aggressive moment. If Frank tells you something like that, well, that's it. That's it done. He's, he's underlining the point. He's saying, we're never talking about this again, David. You don't need to worry about me. Yeah, definitely. Um, but within all of this drunken talk, there is a moment of whiskey clarity mm. that comes to, to micro. I don't have uh, many of those on whiskey, I must say. No, I don't really either. <laughs> it's definitely, um, he realizes, you know, we're taking these guys down. Frank is wanting to kill them. But ultimately, why don't we work with Madani? Why mm. don't we contact her, give ourselves to her so that she can take down Rawlins? Um, you know, it's only by taking him down, do it legit, not by murder. And, mm-hmm. um, but Frank is completely set against this. Um, certainly at this stage, you know, he is like, no, we're going to kill him. They're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like David's saying that the reason why they can use themselves with Madani is that David has all the evidence and then Frank's the eyewitness to Kandahar. So, um, so it's quite, quite an interesting idea. They've built up this, this concept. It's, it's a good idea, right? It's a good idea from David. Definitely. Um, but Frank is absolutely dismissive of it. He said, he said to Micro in episode three, this is it. If we're working together, they're all going to die. That's it. So Frank has made his decision. There's no way out of it at this point. Yeah, definitely. But there is a moment that changes this whole concept for Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he goes to confront Zach the bully, our fourth war journal point. Oh, yeah. You know, as we said, you know, Zach is starting to carry a knife. We have a really intense moment where, where Frank threatens him with that knife that he's, he's gotten into his possession. He's really trying to, frighten him straight really mm-hmm. in, in this moment but we have the unexpected response from zach where he's asks frank to kill him i mean i also love just how it pans back to micro watching this on the monitor so tough. like just going what the f- is going on in effect and um really really kind of strong kind of uh, emotions, a strong subject matter here. You know, that this kid is grieving for the loss of his dad, has kind of lost his way. Yeah. He's also moved apart from his mom and his sister. You know, they were a tight-knit family beforehand, and he has kind of just drifted. He's been unable to get to grips with what's happened in his life. And here, you know, he's then being threatened at knife point by by Frank. Obviously, nothing is going to happen, but he ultimately asks him to to kill him. Yeah, like we know that. We definitely know that. I, I'm wondering whether David is, is, isn't is as sure as we are of this because he does arrive uh, to see his son. He must have left just after Zach says to Frank to kill him. Um, that must have been how quickly it happened. We've also seen Frank with his own son in the past, completely flipping out when his son makes a racist comment about the, the enemy combatants during war. So Frank, while he does love his family, he definitely says about his wife that there have been problems. It wasn't like a perfect marriage or anything like that. Yeah. And he also mentions how, you know, there were moments where he preferred the company, the camaraderie of his, his team mm-hmm. out in Afghanistan in the Marines. Um, you know, just as much as his own family. Yeah, but I do like this about Frank. He he makes mistakes. He does he does make some silly decisions. I don't know whether Zach would have made this break 
if it hadn't been for Frank going so strongly at him. But it's a really tough scene to watch. Um, I don't think this is tra- taught in any child psychology books at all, where yeah. where a, if a kid carries a knife, you put it to his throat and say, I'm going to kill you. Um, not too sure. Yeah, parenting skills maybe um, have kind of lost um, their way somewhere with, with mm. Frank. You know, he he's all about the direct physical approach here. Yep. And I mean, we see that, with, as it's, you say, with his, with his own child on the boat, where he's having that memory of him with his two children Mm. were yeah he kind of flips out gives a clip behind the ear so he is in some ways you know treat them hard a bit like grusso uh has quoted to his mom yeah um he's certainly that's not to say he's not loving it's certainly not to say that he doesn't care but you know he believes in sort of upfront life lessons and now whether putting a knife to a kid's throat is necessarily upfront, but again, you know, this is a guy who is, um, in a sense, has become detached from the reality yeah. of everyday life. It's kind of that scared straight concept, the idea of that that you have, where if someone's going so far that they may end off in jail, you bring them round to prison to show them what life is really like. You get them to talk to the prisoners. What Frank is really doing is look how violent my life is. Is this the way you want to end off? Do you want to end off as violent as I am? It's kind of almost that. So again, it's quite difficult whether to say Frank has made a bad decision here in his parenting skills, but I certainly wouldn't recommend it to any parent uh, if your child's acting up. I will say there's also a moment from Sarah, which I'm not sure about the parenting style either, where she punishes Zach by taking away his internet and then says, but I didn't want to hear him whine about it, so I let him to go out with his friends. It's kind of, you know... They always say with parents, if you have given a punishment to a child, you have to follow through or else that child will go out of your control completely. I know Sarah's hurting as well. I know she's lost her husband, but she does have to stand up and be the parent for, be both parents, really, for both of her kids. Um, and in this, in this circumstance, by doing that, she's probably allowing Zach to be as difficult as he's being, but he is a child hurting. Yeah, definitely. But he does finally give in to his, his feelings and the pain of mm-hmm. his feelings here and ultimately you know at the moment that david lieberman is racing to get to his house um zach and and frank are having that fatherly chat in a sense mm-hmm. that zach wants um playing ball and so on and all of a sudden this hobo looking guy appears on the corner and frank has to scramble to really make sure that um Zach doesn't see his father. Yeah. Um, you know, and he chucks the ball along and then races down to, to micro and really says, you have to get out of here. Yeah. You know, uh, you, he can't see you. And if you see him and we're being watched in any way, well, then they're going to kill him if, if he hangs uh, around. Yeah. Yeah. Like if effectively Zach could tell anybody, um, Zach should not be the first person that sees David alive. Um, I do like that football game, that, that football game on the street between Frank and Zach. I don't know why. There's just something very weird about Frank complimenting Zach on the way he throws the ball. He doesn't sound very complimentary. He still sounds like really gruff Frank Castle. I'm not sure whether I'd accept him saying anything complimentary to me either. He's quite a, I don't know. It's something about his, about his temper and his, and his voice. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty quick transition though, I suppose, from knife around the throat, please kill me mm-hmm. to, Things feeling maybe more settled, you know, um, but I suppose 
it has to transition yeah. relatively quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately it's that David is so concerned. He races round, um, but ultimately has to deprive himself from seeing his son. And importantly here, Frank says to David, I'll do anything for you if you get away, because again, he's becoming really protective of the Liebermans. He says, I'll do anything, anything you want. I'll even go to Madani with you and share this information. So maybe that's going to play out in the next episode. Yeah, when so the we have the 180 here from uh, his complete dismissal of that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Let's get on to our point five. Yeah, the big operation, the decoy that plays out. Um, yeah, this, this is tough, actually. I mean, I love the decoy operation. Mm-hmm. I love how it's handled by Madani and Stein. I think it's really good. But, you know, um, I'm just going to cut straight to it. That was tough seeing Stein being gossiped or not even gossips, uh, stabbed repeatedly by the pretty boy Russo. Like, you know, Stein has been this kind of slightly comical, uh, light relief character next to Madani. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've really seen him step up to the plate with the, the tapping of Madani's office. He's really worked with her. You know, he's had her back, um, during the car chase and all that. You know, he's, he's a loyal, uh, right hand lieutenant for Madani. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think he played it so well. The acting was fantastic with Stein. Um, just the, the, the desperate attempt for him to, just say the words Billy Russo to her whilst oh. he's bleeding out and just that not being able to get the, the breath out feeling. I absolutely felt the blood leaving his body, yeah. the life draining out of sign. It was fantastic acting. I mean, and the, the wide eyes, it was really visceral how, how that was done with Madani uh, left there. And I mean, yeah, I mean, fur Jews, that was, that was a pretty hard hitting death, I think, in, yeah. in, in this. Um, and it was really, really well played. And I mean, just to then reflect that with Madani in shock in her bathtub, you think she's washing herself, uh, to begin with. And then you see the hand reach over, turn the tap off, mm. and there is Billy Russo. I mean, what a neck on him. I mean, really, what an absolute neck on him. I think bad things are going to happen to Billy Russo, and I'll have to say, I think they are absolutely deserved. I mean, Fergus to Ben Barnes, his character has drawn you in, and now he is absolutely pushing you away. He, yeah. It, he's making him grotesque. It's fantastic acting. Really is. Um, and I have to say, this was a fantastic moment. It really was, yeah. I think Ben Stein has been a fun character in the background for a lot of the episodes. But he's had some great moments with Madani throughout the season. There's something really personal about the the killing he says to him who's pretty now, effectively commenting on the fact that he has been listening in, which Stein knows. Stein knows that people have been listening in, but he didn't know it was Billy until he took the balaclava off. And you can see the shock in Stein's face. He did everything correctly here. Everything that was part of his training. He makes sure that he has the gun trained on him from a distance, gets Billy to drop the gun. He takes the other knife off him. There's no way he could have known that he had his little Assassin's Creed dagger in his, in his sleeve to kill 
Ben. He thinks he's completely cleared him down. He makes the comment to him, just make my day, effectively. He does a little Dirty Harry moment where he says, make my day. I want to shoot you. I want to take you out for what you've done to my team. Um, but yeah, he's, it's effectively Billy is rubbing it in his face. And you're absolutely right. Those moments when Ben is lying on the ground in the arms of Madani, who's trying to stop the un- the inevitable. He's just trying to save him and make sure that he survives. And he is absolutely trying to get the word Billy out. That's all he wants is just that one word. And you can see the frustration in his eyes as he bleeds out. You can see that moment where he's just going, I just have one word to say and that's all I want to say kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, Madani and Stein here are really an effective team. You know, they almost take out everyone of uh, of Billy's team mm-hmm. and um you know they do flanking maneuvers hence why Stein manages to get round yeah um you know ultimately Billy is in a bit of a pickle here and um, but he he even shoots one of his own teams to stop him from getting into the hands of homeland security and maybe blabbing he is ruthless as hell. He really is. I'm really glad they set up these guys as not being people that Billy likes. Um, earlier on, when we have the meeting with the five or six guys that, that Billy takes on board, the fact that they shot civilians in front of some high-level representatives of the government, and um, that's put them against Billy's idea. That's put them against Rollins' idea. So I like that they set them up as people that he wouldn't generally work with because they do some very stupid things in here. There's a call out at right at the beginning of this operation where the guys call out Homeland Security, put your guns down. And there's an instant headshot from one of Billy's team. They're, they're straight away going for the kill. Um, they then start calling out each of the members of the team's name as they're shot. So if you want to investigate who it was that was involved, we've well, got the surnames of at least four of the members of the team as they're, as they're taken down. These guys are not trained by Anvil. They're not members of that team. And I'm, doubtful that any of them would have made it out anyway yeah they're a little loose definitely i have a feeling Um, that billy would have just gotten rid of them anyway you know but i mean you know it's it it's it is quite heartbreaking actually seeing stein um sort of die in madonna's arms really um i have to say like he will be surely missed um, by Madani and by us yeah, on yeah. Defenders TV podcast. Um, but I, it was just so well done. It really meant something. It really um, hit home. And even more so the impact of it, you know, and that final shot with Billy Russo uh, knelt by the side of Madani. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is going to be seriously like pissed uh you know really fuming yeah um like when is billy russo's name going to go into the into the wind and be caught by madani and frank Mm -hmm. because at the moment he is still the one who is invisible here and to madani and frank so it will be really interesting. And she's got to be taking a lot of the blame here. She effectively set up this as a fake operation to draw out Rollins, to draw out the team that's around Rollins. So without her doing this, Sam Stein would have been alive. You know, it's it's got to take its toll on her. And I fa- the fact, as you say, that she's going into the arms of Billy to take care of her when she's in such shock about the situation, that's absolutely going to come, down, come back and bite him on the ass. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, Sam is the, the guy who she has opened up to has learned to trust you know when she mm-hmm. came from kandahar to the homeland security office you know she it was her against the rest of the world um because of the her investigation being pulled from underneath her yeah um and sam is the one that she's slowly 
and gradually trusted to to include in everything that she does. Um, so this will be a big loss for her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's our top five points. A couple of quick notes. Yep. Um, first note is just one that I forgot to mention. It's a little, a little Easter egg, a little Marvel Easter egg uh, that I forgot to mention the last Ooh, couple of times. Yeah, Chris will be annoyed that you've got the first Easter egg. <laughs> there's been a few Easter eggs in the show so far. I don't know that there's... Uh, well, Chris thinks it's not Easter egg heavy. Well, you know, they, I think this is probably a show that's not made for comic book fans. It's made for people that like series like Homeland. This is Netflix version of that type of show. So they're probably not going to layer in a huge amount of Easter eggs for, for Punisher, but there's been a fair few, I'd say. Uh, one of them is more about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, the actor Tim Gunney, who plays um, Lewis Walcott's father, Clay Wilson, he also played Major Allen in both Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2. Uh, you may remember him from a couple of scenes with uh, Rhodey, um, he, mm-hmm. who's in the army. This is his boss in the army. So quite interesting. It would have been a bit more interesting if they kept the idea that this was a former major in the army that dealing with his son who's going through PTSD that might have been an interesting idea but it's nice to see him in the show and I definitely recognized him from the start I just couldn't see the credits for him up until this week it wasn't up on IMDb so I couldn't see the credits of who the actor was that played the character so uh, so really cool to see him back in the Marvel Cinematic Yeah universe. really good we also have Food Watch again uh, Frank is well actually no he gives it to Micro but enchiladas from Sarah's house mm-hmm. uh, which he passes to to Micro to Get a taste of home, I suppose. Yes. It was really nice. Uh, and of course, then, um, after the whiskey, um, has had its, uh, impact on micro, he gives him some fermented rice from Vietnam. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to really help full of probiotics. Um, so it'd be interesting. I'd love to know what that tastes like. Um, in terms of the whiskey, I saw that it was teachers. Oh, really? Oh, good stuff. So a scotch being used to get absolutely, yes. uh, Drunk. I did notice that the bottle had changed from the bottle that was underneath Micro's, uh, Micro's desk that we saw earlier on in the season. So I presume Frank's done a, a, a beer run at some point for for them uh, since he's able to get out of the get out of the place. So yeah. uh, four bottles of whiskey and five bottles of rosé for yeah. Frank. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, I like that one. Uh, I wonder since it's coming up to New Year's now. I wonder if we'll be using some fermented rice after New Year's Eve, John. I think. Oh, it sounds interesting. I'm not sure. Apparently, it tastes gorgeous though. So it's just what it's what uh, what David's saying. So. Yeah, well, if it's anything like kimchi, then it might not taste that nice. Yeah. Um, like, I do quite like fermented cabbage, sauerkraut, for one. Yes, Very yes. nice. But kimchi, not entirely sure I can deal with that. And I love spicy, um, fermented kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which sounds gross, actually. Uh, yeah. But anyway... <laughs> But there's just a couple of other little notes. I, I do like the kind of layering of this stuff back through the episodes where Frank is realizing that there's been no reports on Kentucky or the shooting at Rollins. So he knows this must be a private army of, of Rollins. I think we had a bit of a discussion about that a couple of episodes ago, but I like that Frank's piecing this stuff together. And one negative I have for the episode. Is that all right? Did love the episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fire away. <laughs> I did love the episode and I do love Ben Barnes in this role as, uh, as Billy Russo, but we know he's a British actor. There's just a conversation that he's having with Madani where he's, where he's explaining his background history about going after a pedophile that has, uh, that has tried to call him pretty and wanted to play some games with him. But it's some words that are given to him to make him sound more New York, but they seem like 1920s words. He talks about <laughs> stick balls and storybooks. Um, you know, there's none of this in your storybooks. And, uh, we read playing stick ball and hitting them with our stick ball sticks. 
it just doesn't sound right. It didn't sit right with this 21st century character. Um, I don't know whether you just call it baseball or rounders or something like that. Um, it's just, I don't know whether kids any time in the last 20 years have called something stickball in New York. It just always reminds me of like a 1920s thing or a 1970s thing even. Yeah, storybooks are, I'm fine with. I must say I didn't spot this at all. Really? Um, but I think storybooks you, I got. I think it's fine, like kid but, books, right? But, kids yeah, books are just books. Yeah, and I think you'd probably just say baseball. But hey, yeah. sure. <laughs> stickball. Maybe yeah. he has a thing for nostalgia. Maybe, maybe. Uh, that's all my notes for the episode. Anything else yourself, John? New. Okay. I think it's on to our defense then. First up, Chris. Hopefully you're there. Do you defend this episode of The Punisher? What's up, fellow defenders? I am not with my other two co-hosts, unfortunately, for this episode, but here is whether I defend or do not defend this episode of Punisher. And it's true, I do. I really enjoyed this episode. It was the emotional, uh, well, not action-packed, it was an emotional payoff on a lot of the story threads that have been coming for the last seven episodes. We finally got Frank and Micro's missus. That was an inevitable kiss that was coming. And seriously, who brings flowers as an excuse to check in on her? I was like, come on, Frank, you're asking for it now. But anyway, it happened. But what I enjoyed really about that scene in particular was the fact that we didn't get the how I would assume Micro to react um, at the end of that ep- of the scene. So Frank comes back and Micro's not swinging for him. Micro's drunk and just going, yeah, makes sense, go for it. Like, that was the bit I found really interesting. And then I found, I really enjoyed that scene between Micro and Frank where the two of them were, well, well, well to be fair, where Micro was just swinging. Literally, it was all out there for everyone to see. Um, fantastic scene. What I really enjoyed as well was the overall payoff between the Madani and Russo in that this has always been going from just a, a, a lover's tryst to the two of them kind of now falling for each other. And then we get the final delivery of Madani in the bath, crying, shaken from the death of her partner. And we have Russo playing the, the game still. So we really do have in Russo what I'm starting to think as the main villain of this series. It's not Rollins. Rollins, as you can see, he's not in it as much as Russo has been. While Rollins may be the big bad, the actual true big bad, the origin of the real big bad that we are getting to see is Russo. And I'm really interested to see where that will turn up over the coming weeks uh, as we progress with the rest of the season. Finally, Rollins being the big bad, Micro uh, suggesting that they team up with Madani to take down Rollins. Really good. I'm really liking this because I think this is where it may go. Frank still wants to kill him and that's going to be down to and with Madani's partner out of the way. I can see this team up happening. Then convincing Frank that they take Rollins alive so everyone's good. And then we end with Frank killing Rollins. And that will be the end of the season. It's going to be good. So, do I defend this episode? Yes, I do defend this episode. It's fantastic. It was the emotional payoff I wanted. 
Um, we saw a fantastic death scene, but we also saw a fantastic action scene. We also saw the payoff of a lot of storylines, but we also saw the future. And finally, I should say, we saw the future of where this storyline and the overall series could be going. So, fellow defenders, that's what I thought. That's my defense. And I'll see you guys in the new year. Thanks for that, Chris. We haven't heard what you've said yet. I'm sure it was fabulous, though. Uh, John, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I do defend this episode of The Punisher. I give this five micro mooses out of five. Nice. Um, I thought this was really affecting this episode. Mm. Um, it really built up the relationship between Madani uh, and Billy Russo over the previous episodes mm-hmm. and, and brought it to a startling and chilling uh, conclusion with him knelt by the bathtub with Madani in shock. Um, it has the loss of Stein, which I just thought was absolutely played brilliantly. I think it really, it really hit home the brutality of that, um, with the, the decoy operation. And I just loved the buildup of that as well. It really, um, just added new layers to Billy Russo. Yes, we knew he was a bit of a, um, a, a, a crook. Um, but this just shows another level. Plus he stands up to Rawlins. All these different threads really, I think, came to pass with the death of Stein there. Uh, and I thought it was hugely emotional, hugely impactful, and absolutely top-notch storytelling, uh, direction, and acting from everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved, again the the coming to a head of of Sarah and Frank uh, and and Zach as well you know those relationships as well with Micro a distant from everything that's going on with his family even though he's so close by knowing Frank and I I think that's a really uh, great way of dealing with that whole situation I I think it, it it's a great way of telling that story yeah and then of course um we just have that little bit of intrigue here with. Billy Russo's mum uh, and her strapped down to a bed in some kind of home or institution. Uh, you know, who is she? We get some little snippets of that, but why is she there? Will she play a part in the future? Uh, you know, and again, it's just another level, uh, another layer even of Billy Russo's inhumanity in some respects, you know, he is the Yanis God. He is completely two-faced. It is fantastic to watch um, and hard to watch at times as well. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, for me, five micro-mooses out of five. Or not so micro-mooses if micro is to be believed. <laughs> well, quite. <laughs> so, Derek, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? Yes, I do defend this episode. As you say, John, a lot of the stuff that's going on with David Lieberman and his family is so interesting to watch. And what goes on with, with Madani and uh, Sam Stein in this episode is really, really good. Really good stuff to watch. Um, Billy is just a, a difficult character now. Um, he's a very interesting character to begin with. We all thought he was friend of Frank who would kind of step back up with him versus Rollins. But obviously we see now that he's in this for himself. Billy Russo is in this for himself. Um but it was nice to see a little bit of backstory, a little bit more of the twisting of who the character is, a little bit more of uh, some of his history as well, because he has been a bit of a blank slate to begin with. So, uh, so yeah, definitely a good episode of The Punisher. I definitely defend it. Yeah, on to our feedback. Um, we have got some feedback in through our Facebook group. Uh, head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups 
forward slash Defenders TV podcast and you can join uh, our group there for spoiler filled discussions um, of each episode uh, as we put them up. And um, Tina Brown says, Oh my, how many times have we seen the screwed up parents screw up their kids trope? Wilson Fisk. Kilgrave, Luke's brother, and of course, Ward Meacham. I haven't read this comic, so I looked it up and I know that this is canon, but it's getting kind of old. Why can't bad guys just be bad? This is a bit of a pet peeve for me, so please bear with me as I detour into DC, but that was the single best thing about The Dark Knight. Why was the Joker a psychopath? We don't know, and we don't find out, and that's fine. Now, that route would be tough with Billy, because he also clearly is sane, but my premise holds. Feel free to disagree, but this bit fell completely flat for me. Being done, and done better. See, Billy is a bad guy. Don't believe it? Okay, let's literally turn the series around, circle, back, and underline it. I still think he's cute. Okay, one more time, get the highlighter out and pay attention. He's mean to his mom. See, villain. Still don't get it. Sam, can you come over here for a minute? Oh. Bothered me for the entire episode. Too heavy-handed. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I don't think I, I agree with you, Tina, uh, in this case. I think this is just, just giving you a bit more backstory behind the character. I'm not too sure whether... His mom not being around is what screwed Billy up. He seems to be a pretty well-adjusted character who's just gone along with other people and is a villain in his own right. I'm not too sure whether it's it's the fact that he has been left in the in the system that's turned him into a bad guy. I don't think that's an explanation we're getting in this episode. Maybe it's just me. I know with Kilgrave, for example, they did twist that as well. It's not his parents that screwed him up. It's parents that were trying to fix him from being a screwed up kid. Uh, I think that's kind of what they're doing here. It's just giving him a little more detail behind the character. But I'm not too sure if they're saying by his mom leaving him in the system, this is what screwed Billy up. I think that might have been what led him to go into the army to find his own family. Um, but I think Billy's just a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just a bad guy as well. I mean, even if he, you know, and we don't know for sure, but if he, you know, tried to find his biological mom, did do, and then she didn't want anything to do with him, I suppose most rational people are that you go, okay, I'll either try and convince you otherwise, or you kind of say, right, the decision has been made. I didn't want anything left to do with you. Here, Billy is actively, has gotten his, his mom, has put her into a home of some sort and has tied her to the bed mm -hmm. is giving her um sort of medication probably to dull her senses to keep her from um shouting out whatever it is is it morphine is it some other form of medical drug that's really keeping her sedated you know to me, this is just showing that he is a psychopath, that the army was the right move for him because he enjoys and excels at killing. Um, he is also massively manipulative. Yeah. Um, but certainly I can also agree with you, Tina, about, you know, that the trope of it, it's because of the childhood. And um, I think with Marvel setting such a realistic tone, You've got to see it come from somewhere, um, but also it's not always necessarily from the the childhood of that person. Yeah. It can be from people in adulthood. And I think for me, 
really with Ben Barnes, his character with, is that he is actually just, he is a psychopath and he's selfish. He is totally self-absorbed. Yeah. Um, and that's all it is. And I think all that's, for him. Yeah. it's all for him. And I think that shows with that first stand up, uh, to Rawlins here in this episode as well. He is for him and him alone. Although I could definitely understand um, your point on this. You know, not everyone is bad because of something that's happened in their childhood. Absolutely. You make the choice to, to stand up and not be bad because of what happened to you in your childhood. Or you make the choice to be bad because of it. In this case, I don't. again, I don't think they're setting it up for that reason. But I can probably agree with you. Since we made the realization in the last episode that Billy's a bad guy... Now suddenly every single scene that he's in, he's doing something bad. That that may be a little bit too heavy-handed. That may be a little too much for you. Especially if you're binge-watching the episodes back-to-back to have all of those scenes in episode 6 and now episode 7 where everything he's doing that is bad other than his conversation with Madani, which actually there is even a couple of lines in there that are pretty bad guy kind of lines, you know, as well. So perhaps it's a bit too much. But thanks so much for the feedback, Tina. Keep sending it in for each of the episodes. We also had a bit of feedback from Salima Kisler on our last episode, episode 7. He says, thanks for covering the bit about Frank's distinction between military members on the base and the team that attacked Gunner. I've been wondering about that ever since the Gunner episode, and I'm still not sure how Frank knows the difference, but I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's 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 probably the fact that he was under fire. Himself and Gunner were under fire, so it was kind of a bit of a kill or be killed moment. Whereas when he's attacking the base himself, he's making the decision to go there. So he knows all of these people are military people on the base, and he doesn't want to kill everybody that's there whereas the last time as i say he's is kind of a killer killer be killed situation right yeah i think so and definitely you know he went there to 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 find gunner he found him and then they were attacked you know Mm -hmm. they were jumped and it was the the fight or flight and in fact they tried to they did both they ran away but it had to defend themselves uh, and it ended up that, you know, they realized with their military training that these guys are here for one purpose, one purpose only, and that is to kill them. So, yeah, I think it was uh, a kill or be killed um, situation there. And as you say, then with the infiltration of the base to get Monty, it was about doing it um, without being seen. And I, I think that moment of difference comes in that tunnel when Frank is escaping where there is the serviceman. Yeah. And he will kill him if he has to, but he doesn't want to. So gives the ultimatum, and thankfully, uh, the the soldier patrolling there decides he wants to live. He doesn't want to be a hero. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Salim. Really good to hear from you on our Facebook group as well. Uh, a couple of reviews over on iTunes, John. Excellent. Always nice to hear them. Yeah, we got a five-star review by Tia Lee, who says, Loved the recaps. As someone that wasn't particularly interested in re-watching all four individual series, it was great to listen to the recaps, which touched on everything important and hit on details that I probably wouldn't have caught or remembered. I also really enjoyed the format, which includes details about the writers and directors, a synopsis plus the five points. So great. Thank you, Tia Lee. Um, that's really nice of you. It's yeah. great to get reviews subscriptions or ratings on the podcast it really helps us to expand the podcast and to get the word out about us on itunes or whichever podcast catcher that you're listening in on Mm -hmm. and so thank you so much yeah thanks so much and also thanks to our facebook group who suggested the idea of doing the recaps before the defenders came around that was really good of you we also got a review over in canadian itunes from a user called matthew just the way that Electra would pronounce uh, Matt Murdoch's name, 
I know it's pronounced that way because he's got an extra T in his name. <laughs> Thanks so much for this, Matthew. Um, he says, good balance. He says, I love the mix of analysis and comedy. Comedy, John. Yes. I like it. <laughs> we are naturally funny. That must be Chris. Whether it's the sound of our voice Maybe. or the uh, the banter between us. Maybe. But I think it's Chris. Or we are sort of unknowingly just hilarious. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Because I- we spout... Nonsense. Not nonsense. <laughs> Not nonsense. Uh, but this is probably the most serious episode of the season that we've covered because yeah. it's lost one of the main characters. So at the end of it, it's always nice that someone's enjoyed our comedy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew, uh, for, for the review. As I say, share the love. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, or any other good podcast catcher and search Defenders TV Podcast. Rate us, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast. Absolutely. Or go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And there's a whole section where you can subscribe to any of the other good or evil podcast catchers out there. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Absolutely. We'll be back with our review of Punisher Episode 9, Front Towards Enemy, Mm. next Friday, uh, the 5th of January, and every week from there on in until the end of the 13-episode series of The Punisher. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. A very happy new year to all of our fellow defenders and all of our listeners out there. Yes, thank you as always for listening to us. It's a pleasure. Um, and yes, I'm off to go and check whether I measure up to a moose or not. <laughs> Looking forward to speaking with you next time. Bye. I'm not a big fan of blues, blues, but I'm gonna tell you what to do. When you ain't got no money, you got to do.